In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The parable of the wheat and the tares in today's gospel is one of the few gospel stories or parables that Jesus actually explained. In Matthew 13, 35, the disciples said, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. <clears throat> Jesus said, he who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the word world, and the good seed means the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as tares are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The most notable aspect of Jesus' explanation, in my opinion, is how straightforward it is. There will be a day when those who belong to God will be separated from those who do not. The former will enter the kingdom, and the latter will not. Jesus is always clear and simple when he teaches about judgment. In contrast, whenever commentators talk about judgment, there is a tendency to equivocate, to give human opinions about what God will or will not do. It reminds me of a former deacon of ours who said, it's amazing how much light the Bible sheds on the commentaries. There's another aspect of judgment in the parable that contrasts with popular opinion. Jesus describes the judgment as a harvest. Many people view the judgment as a courtroom scene. God will weigh the good deeds people have done against their bad deeds and admit people into the kingdom on the basis of personal merit, grading, as it were, on a sort of curve. This popular belief endures despite the clear teaching of the Bible that no one gets into the kingdom of heaven on the basis of personal merit. As Romans says in a well-known passage, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The harvest imagery highlights this truth. The judgment will reveal the presence or the absence of what the Bible calls fruit. It is fruitfulness, not merit, that is revealed in the judgment. Now, for us, fruit can mean apples and bananas as opposed to vegetables like carrots and peas. But in the Bible, fruit simply means what the Holy Spirit produces within us. As Galatians chapter 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
This fruit grows from the good seed planted within us by Jesus. The seed represents the word of God that is planted in our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The water of baptism is the visible sign of this gift, and the sacrament of confirmation prays to strengthen this gift. When we hear the word of God and respond to that word with repentance and faith, God plants a new life within us through the Holy Spirit. As that life is cultivated and nurtured, it grows and it produces the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit is produced as a cooperative venture between ourselves and God. Without the seed and gift of the Spirit, we can't produce any fruit of the Spirit, no matter how much labor we expend. However, if we do not cultivate and nurture the planted seed, it will not grow and may not produce much fruit at all. What we do in life matters. The epistle today describes both the fruit of the Spirit and also describes our participation in producing this fruit of the Spirit. St. Paul writes, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 to 11, the passage just before our epistle, exhorts us to put off the people we used to be through repentance. And then today's epistle exhorts us to put on Christ through the practice of love. We cannot be forgiven or cleansed from sin. We cannot put off anything without the grace of God that cleanses us. But neither can we love, <clears throat> neither can we put on Christ if we do not obey God's word and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit that leads us to do loving things. God's grace in our lives makes our efforts fruitful. The epistle says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and let the word of God dwell in you richly. This requires our surrender to the activity of the spirit by acts of our will. In contrast, we might instead allow ourselves to become distracted by the turmoil and conflict in the world around us. 
we might allow our thoughts to be governed by the anxious communication that comes from social and other media. We are all gardeners of some sort. We are all cultivating something. Are we tending to and cultivating the anxiety and disordered desires of the old man, which are provoked by the world? Or are we tending to and cultivating the life of Christ that has been planted within us? We can test our horticulture by its fruit. What kind of fruit is our life producing? Gardening or farming is not complex work, but it requires faithful habits. We grow in our experience of God's peace each day through prayer. The word of God comes to dwell richly within us as we read and meditate upon the word of God each day. We put on love by our daily commitment to do loving things for the people nearest to us. That is the essential meaning of the commandment to love our neighbor. And this is the most pressing point of the parable. If the judgment is essentially a harvest in which Christ welcomes into his kingdom the fruitful plants and rejects the unfruitful plants, then there is an urgency to the ordinary practices of our faith. Ordinary faithfulness must be our urgent daily priority. And we must not allow ourselves to become distracted from this essential work. We must be faithful spiritual gardeners. Our horticultural disciplines are nothing more and nothing less than faithful habits of staying close to Jesus. He planted new life in our hearts. He sustains that life in us through our communion with him. He produces fruit in us as we live in him and do the things he tells us to do in preparation for the coming harvest. As Jesus said in John 15, with a slightly different horticultural analogy, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.